Now, uh, today, this third week, the final installment. Uh, and today's topic, I'll just tell you right up front, this is a little sticky. I'm not sure how else to say that uh, because there's a real uh, tension that keeps today from being completely clean cut, meaning uh, we'll have to hold two tensions in our mind and kind of find a balance that we can walk on. So far these, in this series, things have been pretty black and white, this side or that side. And I just want to tell you as we go in today that there's an important tension that if we can find it, if we can resolve it in some way, our lives will be so rich, so meaningful for the kingdom of God. And the message today is called unfriending because anyone who's on Facebook at some point or another, uh, you might have that one person who is just annoying, who just posts things you don't care to see, just one too many Facebook rants. And what do you do? You click unfriend, you know, just one too many pictures of their breakfast and you're just kind of done and you see, just click unfriend. Have any of you had that person? Don't point at them, but yeah, some of you have. I think Facebook, social media, it does. It has so many great, uh, it adds so many things to our relationships. And yet I think unintentionally, in many ways, it's changing the way we look at the term friend, and it's changing the way we see our friendships. For example, you could have 300, 400 Facebook friends, but you don't have one good, close, intimate friend. And we distance ourselves away uh, from people in some ways, And, and it might be unintentionally cheapening what we mean by the term friend. So rather than just saying that we're going to just unfriend people in our pursuit of pleasing God. What I want to do is talk to you about the times when you may need to redefine a relationship. In fact, those of you that are committed followers of Jesus Christ, I would say that it is absolutely imperative that at different seasons of your life to redefine certain relationships in order for you to continue on this narrow road to continue in your pursuit of pleasing God and being a committed Christ follower. Why? Why is that so important? Well, because of Proverbs 13, 20. Would you read this with me? Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. We've been saying it this way. If you're taking notes, write this in. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. You show me the people that you are closest to and I will show you the trajectory of your life. For instance, if you hang out with people who are extremely negative, who are critical, they always point out what's wrong. They just, oh, I'm just telling it like it is. You will become more critical, more negative. You will become like someone who's always pointing out the bad, focusing on the bad. On the other hand, if you hang around people who are positive, even complimentary, people who Uh, point out the good things. They focus on the good. They don't tell it like it is. They tell it like it could be. You will become encouraging. You will become a positive person and you will make a great impact in your world. I could go on and on and on. You hang out with people who are stingy, you'll become stingy. If you hang out with people who are generous, you'll become generous. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. Now, if you're like me and you can look back at certain times in your life where you got in trouble you probably didn't get in trouble alone, did you? You got in trouble in a group. It happened with company. You were probably egging some idiot on or some idiot was egging you on, right? That's how it works. 
Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Write this down somewhere, maybe in the margin, maybe on the back of your outline. We meet people by chance, but we deepen our friendships by choice. We meet them by chance, but the righteous deepen their friendships by choice. Just because you happen to be around this person doesn't mean they are your next friend. Just because you happen to be in the cafeteria at the same time or have a locker next to theirs or you're on the same team as them does not mean they're the next best friend for you. Just because your kids play sports together, just because you work together, doesn't automatically mean they are your next friend. We meet people by chance, but the righteous deepen their friendships by choice. We are intentional about our friends. Why? Why do you have to be so intentional about your close friends? Now, this leads us to our key thought for today. If you're taking notes, you need to mark this down. You also need to hide it deep within your soul. It is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It is absolutely impossible over the course of your life to live a God-honoring life when you don't have God-honoring friends. Paul wrote this to the um, church at Corinth. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Why do you think he said, do not be misled? Because in this area, it is extremely easy to be misled. In fact, there will be many of you today, many of us today will try to rationalize this message away. You'll tell yourself, oh, this message doesn't apply to me because you're not like your friends, are you? Before we go any further in this message or in this worship service, I would just ask you, would you just open yourself up to this message, to this word? I'd invite you uh, to not think of everyone else in your life that needs this sermon. Think about you. You'll have the opportunity to do that later. Send them a CD or the link to the podcast. But I invite you just right now in these moments, no matter what age you are, no matter what season of life, no matter who your friends are, to just open yourself up to these verses, this message, and at least hear it out. Because the tendency is going to be to think, well, yeah, my friends are kind of sketchy in this area or that area. Maybe they're doing some things there. Oh, that's not a really good idea. But that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to become that person. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You show me your friends. I will show you the person you are becoming. You cannot live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And it appears to be pretty clean cut, pretty right or wrong, pretty black and white. But there's a tension here that we cannot eliminate. The Bible says, yeah, bad company corrupts good character, so we need to stay away from people with bad character. Yet Jesus, our Savior and our example, was a friend of sinners. So do we stay away or do we reach out? The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. That's pretty clear. Don't join up with a non-believer. And yet we're also told that we need to go out into all the world and be a light to the world. 
Let our light shine into the darkness. Scripture says, do not associate with people who are easily angered, or you will become like them and lose your soul. And yet we're told to go and make disciples, to reach people who are far from God. So should we avoid these people that are going to tempt us to run away, or should we be a light that reaches out to those people? The answer is yes. Yes to both. That's the tension that we have to embrace. Those are the two tensions in our mind that we have to hold, the balance we have to walk. We are to be careful to not let the wrong influences take us away from God's call. And at the same time, we have to be careful not to let our hearts grow cold to those who don't know him, to those who are far from him. So how do we resolve this tension? Well, part of it is really never going to go away, but I believe at the foundation of this teaching is this principle, that if you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ, that it is imperative that those people in your inner circle, those who are at your core, I'd say your closest five, six, seven friends, the people you influence, the people that influence you, it is a non-negotiable that those be committed followers of Jesus Christ. Because that's where you're going to get your strength. That's where you're going to get your encouragement. That's where people are going to love you and correct you. And when you have at your very core committed followers of Jesus Christ, your spiritual roots will grow very, very deep. And when your roots grow deeper, your reach becomes broader. And when you're surrounded by the right people, your roots grow deep, you're more solid, and when your roots are deeper, your reach is broader because you're surrounded by the right people. Then you can go into all the world and let your light shine brighter. But when your inner circle, when your core is not made up of the right people and you have the wrong voices speaking into you, influencing you, your roots are not deep enough for your reach to be broad. Because the moment you go out, you will fall over. You will get your spiritual butt kicked because you do not have the strength to go and be who God calls you to be into the world. You've got to have that core strong, the roots deep, so your reach can be wide. Jesus is the perfect example because if you look, if you read through the Gospels, look at his encounters with people, you'll quickly discover he loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat everyone equally. You know, he only recruited 12 disciples, not 13, not 1,200. He loved everyone the same unconditionally, but he didn't treat everyone equally. And there were times when everybody wanted Jesus. Everybody wanted a piece of him, his disciples, his followers, people needing something from him. And there were times when he would have to step back. He'd draw a line in the sand. He'd say, sorry, I've got to spend this time with my heavenly father. And he would neglect those people and withdraw for sometimes up to 40 days at a time so that his roots would be deeper, so his reach and ministry could be broader. He loved everyone equally. He loved the Pharisees because he was God in the flesh. But because he was God in the flesh, he knew he couldn't trust the Pharisees. So though he loved them, he kept them at arm's length. He loved everyone equally, but he was intentional 
about his relationships with people. You cannot live the right life with the wrong friends. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Ryland, I've got this. I'm there. If my friends are bank robbers and drug pushers, then I probably need to redefine those relationships, right? Well, if that's what you're thinking, then yes, absolutely, that's true. Honestly, that is the case for some of you. I know you, and we're really glad you're here. But the reality for most of us is that those aren't our friends, but we still have some influences that are very close that need redefining if we're going to take another step in becoming a committed Christ follower. It could be that, yeah, there are those in your life that are just extremely negative. And every time you're around them, you're becoming less of who God wants you to be, and you're becoming more negative. It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as people in your life who are redefining your priorities for you. Oh, you don't have to go to church every week, right? You don't have to go to a small group every week. It could be that there's some that are getting you to do things that are not honoring to God, and you need to redefine that relationship. It could be that some are just continually introducing values to you that are opposed to the values of God. And so you simply need to redefine those relationships. You love everybody, but you don't have to treat everyone equally. The righteous choose their friends carefully, and that's what we'll need to do. The beautiful thing about the church is that you could have a very large inner circle of committed Christ followers. Now, to kind of summarize where we're going to be in resolving this tension, I want to give you uh, two things that we will never let our friends do, and then one thing that we will always keep a priority in every single one of our relationships. Number one, if you're taking notes, I will never let my friends distract me from God's plan. And this is exactly what Peter tried to do with Jesus. Peter was uh, one of his inner circle three, and whenever Peter Uh, Even with good intentions, he thought he was doing the right thing. He tried to talk Jesus out of God's plan for him. Jesus had just explained, hey guys, I'm going to have to die so that I can be raised back to life. And Peter freaked out. No way. We've got plans for you. You can't die. How can you be the king if you're not alive? You can't die. And even with good intentions, he was trying to talk Jesus out of God's best for him. And what did Jesus say in response to Peter's well-intentioned but distraction? Matthew 16, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. If you ever need to make a point to your friends, just call them Satan. That'll do it, right? (laughs) Now, I don't know how this might come about in your relationships, in your friendships, but maybe you have some friends. Yes, they're well-intentioned. Yes, they're good people, but they see things from a human point of view, and it's continually distracting you from God's best for you. You know, maybe you're trying to get out of a a very uh, materialistic lifestyle, and you want to be more generous to help ministries, help those who do not have. But every time you hang around that group of friends, all they care about is money. All they care about is the latest gadget, the best furnished home, 
the nicest car, and you find yourself falling more in love with things than people. You know, it could be that there are some people in your life, and yeah, they're really great people. Yes, they're well-intentioned, but they're all about show or some sporting event has become their God, and it's everything to them. But you have something in your life that's bigger than you now, and you have to redefine that relationship. You can't let them distract you from God's best for you. Don't let them talk you out of it. Don't let anyone, even with the best of intentions, talk you out of God's best, God's plan for you. Number two, I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. I love them, but I will not let them drag me down. An incredible example of this is Joseph in the Old Testament. He was betrayed by his brothers, and he was sold into slavery. But he still had such integrity uh, that he found he was honoring Potiphar, his master, and he ended up finding great favor with Potiphar. And evidently he found favor with Potiphar's wife as well because she took a liking to him, and she actually made some moves on him. It's recorded in verse 12 of Genesis 39, where Potiphar's wife came and grabbed Joseph by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. He didn't stick around and say, oh, it's, it's obvious you need some prayer. Can we just pray together, sister, and talk about your relationship with the Lord? No, he didn't stay around that which would tempt him. He ran away. And there are those times when you will have to redefine a relationship with a friend. And I don't know how it will play out in your circumstance, but if your friends are just all about gossip, and it's gossip, 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 and you know that's wrong, you just have to say, look, if you're going to talk like that, I'm not going to hang around you anymore. And you have to redefine that relationship. Ladies, if all your girlfriends are constantly trash-talking men, bashing their husbands, you're going to have to redefine that relationship. You're going to have to say, if you're going to talk like that, I'm out. Because that's the type of thing that ruins marriages. And it's not worth it. Men, if your work buddies are hanging up pictures of women, texting each other pictures of women, passing around photos, you will have to redefine that relationship. You cannot let a friend tempt you to sin. You have to say, no, we're going to honor the women in our lives. If your friends find nothing wrong with with drinking, but you're trying to get clean, they're continually tempting you to redefine your values, you'll need to redefine that relationship. The righteous choose their friends carefully. But there's one thing that I promise I will do. One thing I will never stop doing. I will never, ever stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. And this is so powerful. Do not miss the power of this. You see, the thing that could happen to our church in a message like this is We start to lean towards being that church that's just holier than thou. Oh, evil, stay away. Stay, hey, we're going to go over here and polish our halos. I don't know what you're up to, but you're wicked. Stay away from us. 
That's not this church. In fact, we are a Luke chapter 15 church. We are more concerned with reaching the lost than keeping the found happy. We're looking for that lost sheep, that lost coin, that lost son. When you think about it, Jesus didn't unfriend sinners. He befriended sinners. If he unfriended anybody, it was the hypocrites. It was those holier-than-thou people. And so we are getting our roots to grow deep. We're getting our core strong so that our reach and our love can be broader. And we will love those people unconditionally who are far from God. And it's time that the church at large stops judging non-Christians for not being Christians, for not acting like Christians. They didn't sign up for our values. They didn't sign up for Christianity. It doesn't mean we accept everything they do. You love them with grace. You love them with truth. But you love them unconditionally. And we let them see our heart. The key is to live with this tension. Go into all the world, yet do not let the world corrupt God's plan for you. And when we're filled with this kind of love, when we can walk that balance, there are times where we'll have to draw a line in the sand and say, I really love you. I want to love you. But I'm becoming a committed Christ follower and you're holding me back from that. Maybe you're trying to get over an addiction and you have to say, I'm coming into a lifestyle that's clean and you're going to have to redefine some friendships. You can say, I love you but I can't let you take me down. Hey, if I can get strong, maybe I can help you get strong in this as well. It's not that we're better than other people, but this is what we have to do. It's what God is calling us to do. And we're always showing unconditional love. In the Gospel of of John chapter 13, we looked at this last week, and we're going to look at it again. Jesus is talking. He says, Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He doesn't say, if you know every answer to the Bible, it'll prove that you are my disciples. He doesn't say, if you are perfect, you'll prove to the world you are my disciples. It says, if you love one another, the heart of his teaching is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves, so we can go in to all the world. And we live in this tension that you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools gets in trouble. You cannot live the right life with the wrong friends. Therefore, I'll surround myself with the right people. I'll get my core strong so my roots will grow deep, but my love will grow wider, that my light could shine brighter so that people would know and follow Jesus. I realize that this tension can be kind of hard to grasp and it'll sound like, well, you're really contradicting yourself here. So I wanted to give you a picture, a story to kind of illustrate this. So I've invited my friend, Uh, to come share his story. It's a powerful testimony. And when he's done, I just want you to give all the glory, all the praise uh, to Jesus Christ. Welcome my friend, Luke.
Hi, my name is Luke Swartwood. I grew up going to church with my parents. I was an only child and the only child at that church. My parents were the closest to my age, and I didn't have a very good relationship with them. Much of the time growing up, I felt alone. I didn't have anyone in my life I could build a positive relationship with. On January 13th, 1995, at the age of 13, I invited Jesus into my life and trusted him with my salvation. Looking back, I did not understand what that meant. Without having a good relationship with my parents, no godly friends, and attending a church with lots of man-made rules, it was very difficult to understand what I was supposed to do next. I was heading in the wrong direction, going into high school. I had a good group of friends that I grew up playing sports with, but that only added to the peer pressure that would come with high school. When I was 16, I stopped going to church altogether. I was still running around with a lot of the same guys. I began drinking because that's what they were doing. I was a kid who desperately wanted to be accepted by others. I knew that the things I was getting into were destructive, but with no guidance, I was left to figure it out by myself. Time went on as I drank, played sports to fit in, became interested in girls, but without ever being taught the importance of purity before marriage, those became destructive relationships as well. A few friends I was hanging out with found out there was a local church and you could play basketball on the team if you went to service on the weekend. In my mind, I thought, maybe this would help, but if not, at least I still get to play basketball. After the league was over, I was recruited to come play basketball by several other churches in the area, each time meeting more people to go party with. This made it even more difficult to know what was right, because these people I was going to church with were still doing the destructive things I was already doing. I graduated from high school, went to college. It's only added to the negative influences in my life. I continued down this path till the age of 21. Then a lot of the excitement of partying left because I could just go to the bar and drink legally. I can remember crying myself to sleep at night after drinking or other bad choices. But I was never able to grow the courage to talk to my friends about what I was feeling and it was difficult to hear God in the midst of all the partying and dysfunctional relationships. I realized the need to get away from all the dysfunctional relationships. Eventually, I began to distance myself from those friends. It wasn't like I had to make an awkward phone call to those people and explain to them why I wasn't going to hang out anymore. I just gradually stopped hanging out with those friends. I really struggled at first. I would felt a new level of alone that I would never felt before. I began to doubt if this was the right thing to do. I continued to trust God, though I had no clue what I was doing or what that would entail. I struggled with going from being popular to having nothing to do on Friday and Saturday nights. I was clueless for what to do next. A few months went by. A lady I worked with invited me to come try Rockbrook. She said the people were friendly and the music was great. I didn't hesitate to try it. I knew I had to do something other than what I'd been doing. I went to a few services. I felt a love from God that I'd never felt before. I was invited to small group by Joel Chalicombe and couldn't wait to get there to meet some real friends. The first night, I got to know Joel and Ryland and began building godly friendships with them. Shortly after, I was baptized at Rockbrook. After a while creating 
and building stable, godly friendships, I began to reach out to some of my old friends and invite them to church. They were less than receptive, to say the least. In 2005, I met my beautiful wife, Stephanie. She's truly a gift from God. We were engaged the following year. I would continue to grab lunch every once in a while with a few of those old friends, but they were not interested in going to church. On March 19, 2007, one of those friends was shot and killed, and a drug deal went wrong. Another one of those friends, Mike, would go to, ch- go to lunch with a couple times a year. I would try telling him about what God had done in my life and inviting him to church. He wasn't ready to hear it. I was married to Stephanie, April 14, 2007, and we've been blessed following God's will for our life ever since. God has blessed us with two amazing boys. Meanwhile, I continued contact with Mike over the years, hoping he'd respond to the good news of Jesus. One day, I texted him and invited him to church. He texted back, what time? I told him 10.15. He said, okay, I'll be there. He actually showed up. (laughs) Didn't hear from him for a while. He was working some weird hours and wasn't able to make it back to church for a while. He did, however, have Wednesday nights off. Mike started joining us every few Wednesdays as me and some guys from small group would go out for barbecue. One of those trips, Mike told me he'd placed his faith in Jesus. I was overjoyed, to say the least. I'd been praying for Mike for over 10 years. Mike's been coming every weekend for about three months now, small group for about a month, and was baptized three weeks ago. My story is not about what I've done, but what God has done through me. For the longest time, I look like the world. When I allowed God to be in control, I learned how to be in the world, but not of it. If it weren't for the friendships that I found at Rockbrook, I probably would have gone back to my old ways and be dead in a gutter somewhere. But by the grace of God, he met me right where I was and opened my eyes to his will for my life. I'm amazed at how many opportunities God has given me to share the love of Christ with those old friends after getting the right kind in my life. I'm here to tell you, that God will meet you right where you are, and if you'll allow him to work in your life, he'll use you for his glory. He'll reach down into your brokenness and make you new. You just have to let him in. I've not always done the right thing, but God has always been there for me in every circumstance. He's answered my prayers, even when I had no clue how to pray them. He has provided me with an amazing wife and kids, godly friends, a gracious church family, and so much more. And he can do that for you too. Let's pray together. God knew that you would be sitting right where you are today in this moment, hearing what you're hearing. And it's time right now to finally give your life over to him. To believe that Jesus' death on the cross made you right with God. And his resurrection defeated death forever, and that you can live a new life in Christ for the glory of God. It's time to believe it. It's time to lean into it and believe that promise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, 
for your grace, for your truth. Help us to love you in return. We thank you for this church, the friends that can be had here, the love that we can rest in and find peace in. We love you in Jesus' name.